All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 83, the Alish Hemsky or Matt Benning episode of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. We had an extended long weekend. Frank, a happy belated Thanksgiving. And man, uh, lots to give thanks for if uh, if you're a reporter in the National Hockey League because there is lots going on uh, right now. Let's get right to, of course, I think the big story, the uh, the Montreal Canadiens. You had the story at dailyfaceoff.com that uh, Jeff Gordon is in and the titles and roles might be a little bit different now for the uh, the Montreal Canadiens organization moving forward. Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating development here for the Montreal Canadiens because you know, their owner and Jeff Molson and their fan base has made it clear that they'd like to have a French speaking general manager in the position. And that may well be the case now after the new GM is hired under Jeff Gordon. But I think the key here, and and we're still waiting for Jeff Molson to address the media later today and to speak and provide more insight and answers. But the key takeaway is that my belief is Jeff Gordon was hired to be the man at the controls. And this is a significant departure from not just the way the Montreal Canadiens have sort of always done it, but also the way that every other NHL team that hires a top level uh, executive to run their hockey operations department, they're flipping it on its head because typically the person that comes in to be the president of hockey operations, the perfect example is Brian Burke in Pittsburgh. 
is more of a figurehead, not the guy doing the day-to-day work and making the trades and transactions and roster decisions. He's instead a conduit to ownership and someone that's a public facing, uh, some, you know, to fans to speak to fans and, and the marketplace about what's happening with the team. And in this case, it seems like it's going to be a reversal here in that whoever is hired to be the French speaking general manager of the Montreal Canadians will work in collaboration. Yes. With Jeff Gordon, but it's Jeff Gordon, an American and an Anglophone that I believe will be making all the decisions moving forward from the hockey ops department for the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, this, the way I see it is a workaround, a creative workaround to stop the Canadians from playing with what was a short deck. And that's really been their big hampering limitation over the last you know number of decades is that when they go to hire for a position, they're dealing with a much smaller talent pool that's available to them. And it's still a a pretty amazing talent pool when you consider just how small that population is across the national hockey league, but still a significant departure nonetheless to say nothing of, um, you know, Mark Bergevin and Scott Mellonby and Trevor Timmons on their way out, just a, a massive development uh, for the Montreal Canadiens over the weekend. Yeah, well, they'll have lots of uh, lots of roles to fill for sure. The the, the instant speculation um, uh, when the the move came out over the weekend and and you know Patrick Waugh's name, of course, uh, a great Montreal Canadian. He's he's francophone. Um, okay. He doesn't have any uh, GM experience at the NHL level per se. So I, I don't know how realistic. You know, that is, especially when you it's, talk, there's about, no chance. Yeah. Well, cause I don't see him as somebody who would necessarily, you know, work under Jeff Gordon. I'm just not sure that that's in, in Patrick's DNA. That, and you know, that was his undoing person. in Colorado is that he wanted more say in the personnel and hockey ops decisions as the head coach. Yeah. And Joe Sackick at a certain point just said, hold on a second here. Who's the guy in charge? And why do you think that it should be you? And so that's really where that relationship fell apart. And my point on Patrick Waugh is if it was going to be him, it would have just been him right now from the start. Why even bring in Jeff Gordon? See, I really could see Frank a situation where you bring in someone and, uh, you know, kind of a similar situation when you look at uh, at Breezeball in Tampa Bay, right? He was brought in second in command for a long time, worked his way up and then uh, became the, the top dog. And I, I think, you know, Jeff Gordon, if he does this job for five years, then their current GM becomes, you know, the official GM in all his titles. And then, as you say, maybe Gordon moves into a figurehead, but that would be a long time down the road. Yeah. I mean, I don't it, it's certainly not anything short term. Uh, Jeff Gordon is 53. Yeah. And he he's not going anywhere. And I think the point is he's the perfect sort of personality for everyone that knows him well to work in collaboration with someone. He doesn't need all the credit. He doesn't need to be front facing or public facing. And he works well with others um, in terms of building relationships. So uh, that is certainly part of the expectation. And I think it checks a lot of boxes for the Canadians, uh, not just in the departure from for from the norm, but also in that he has experience working for a proud original six team. This 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 gives him half of the original six. He spent a long time in the Boston Bruins front office, was the GM of the New York Rangers, and now goes to the Montreal Canadiens. He knows how teams with tradition work. 
Um, he gets that part of it and he's not afraid to dig in and do the work. So I, I think um, when you look at the Canadians and where they're heading in what's been a really difficult season, they have some pieces of talent to build around, which I think is a positive that Mark Bergevin has left this team um, to his successor in a spot that there's certainly enough to work with, but there's a lot of work still to be done. Oh, you look at some of the the big contracts like the Montreal Canadiens right now, Frank, are at the top, uh, of course, because of uh, LTIR. And and you just look at how many big contracts they have moving forward. Josh Anderson, Brendan Gallagher, Jeff Petrie, um, you know, obviously Carey Price. Now, uh, Shea Weber's a little bit different because I think he's going to be on LTIR by the sounds of it, maybe, unfortunately. Uh, for the remainder of his career, but you know they've they've got some some big contracts. Of course, they just lost Kakeniemi. Uh, the way this season's going, it looks like it's it's going to be one where the draft pick is going to have to be a vital piece of the organization's future. And and I think they're going to have to be patient. I, I think we saw it a little bit with Cole Caulfield. They recognize that you know young players that are uh, you know nineteen or twenty years of age. It's very hard as you're an offensive guy to automatically have success. And offensive guys need to remain with high confidence, put him in the American league, let him light it up for a bit, bring him back to the NHL. I'm going to be curious under Gorton. And, uh, you know, he's somebody who's got some scouting chops, Frank. I think that's going to be real, the key here for Montreal. Cause let, let's be realistic. If, if you don't scout, well, your team's never winning. Correct. And I think he's certainly been well-respected in the scouting community in terms of being a talent evaluator, a shrewd talent evaluator. So I, I get what you're saying about the contracts. I guess I would say that this wouldn't be like inheriting another team that has that is starting with an empty cupboard or or nothing. Like this would be so different than going to uh, Arizona or going to Chicago, even at this point. You know, with an aging um, Jonathan Taves and and you know, and I know Patrick Kane again will need a new contract, but this. You know, when you look at a guy and you have a building block like a Suzuki, um, you know, when you have uh, a potential goaltender that that follows Carey Price in, in Caden Primo and, and you have, um, you know, you mentioned Caulfield and, and if Ryan Paling can figure it out, like there there is stuff to build around here with Montreal. And then you add in some of those draft picks. They've got some of the sandpaper. Brendan Gallagher is still twenty nine. Um, you know, there's certainly some room to work with here to try and get this team on the right path. Before we move to San Jose, Frank, quickly, the whole Bergeman situation, uh, you know, Melaby resigning, you know, cause he was, he was promised. I'm heard in some reports that, you know, he was supposed to be the predecessor and be the next, not the predecessor, but they be the next GM. Well, ob- here's the risk on that. The mini- I don't, I would never make that promise if I'm in leadership role. Cause you don't know what happens five years down the road to anybody in an organization, but how it all went down. Why they botch this so bad, right? Like you, you, uh, it, it leaks out that you're looking for someone before you fire the person. Yeah, it, it was certainly an unmitigated mess for the Canadians. Like this, this could have been handled so much better. And I remind you that it all happened when Mark Bergevin is still, I believe, quarantining from COVID-19. I think he's the first general manager ever fired uh, while dealing with COVID-19 uh, and a positive test. So that part of it is unfortunate. Um I think in a lot of ways, the writing was on the wall with Bergevin being in the last year of his deal, the Canadians playing so poorly this year. Um, 
And I, I think I've mentioned it before on the show. I had a lot of question marks as to whether Mark Bergevin even wanted to come back to the Montreal Canadiens that he had told people late last season and in the run up to the Stanley cup final, that that might've been his last year with the team. And as, as much as the writing was on the wall, the way that this weekend played out, like I think it's left a lot of bad blood um, because of the conversations that Scott Mellenby had with Jeff Molson about being that American and Anglophone that takes that, that takes over, maybe not American, but an Anglophone that takes over in that really unique position for the Montreal Canadiens. And instead for it to go to a newcomer and in Jeff Gordon and someone that they didn't even know that the Canadians were talking to that, that all came together quite quickly, but then to leave Mark Bergevin dangling in the wind, you know, in the last 24 to 48 hours before, you know, that all ends up happening and then cleaning house with Trevor Timmons and the PR man and Paul Wilson, it was a mess. It was handled really, really poorly for a team that does, you know, usually buttons things up on ceremony and pomp and circumstance so well. And so the fact that they botched and bungled this, um, I think, surprised a lot of people. But they feel like they've now got the person in place that they went out and struck quickly. That's the other point I'd actually like to make about Jeff Gordon is if you don't think that he's going to be the man at the controls making all the decisions you know, why at, at this point in his career, why would he want a figurehead position? Obviously it would pay well, but if he wants to be the guy that digs in and does the work, he probably could have gone to any one of these next GM openings with teams like Chicago, Anaheim, uh, and eventually Vancouver, not just looking for a GM, but all of those teams are reportedly also potentially in the discussion for president of hockey operations as well. So, um, there's multiple positions and openings. And that's why another reason why I think maybe this weekend was partly such a mess is that they got a sense that, you know, Gordon would be a strong candidate in one of these other markets to step forward now. Yeah. It's smart. Hey, you know, you go after it. And if you're, uh, you're firing, cause here's the thing, I'm not sure there's any great way to fire anyone. So no. um, I don't excuse how, what ideally you'd like it to go better. But if you feel that, Hey, we got to get Gordon before anyone else does. And if that means that some of the guys leaving, aren't going to be happy with it. Well, you probably will live with that and, and we'll see down the road if it pays off. Now, speaking of, you know, distractions and a lot of other things, Evander Kane on the ice last year was the San Jose Sharks best player. Wasn't even close. He was very good on the ice. And I had a former teammate of his, not in San Jose, uh, tell me like early in like last summer when, you know, the stuff about Kane all came out and he said, Evander's biggest issue is he's just so self-centered. He's, he's not like a distraction necessarily as a guy in the room who's yelling at everybody else and causing disruptions. It's just, he's a little bit too self-centered at times. And, you know, Kevin Kerr has reported, you know, simple things about not following the, uh, uh, the, um, the wardrobe and, you know, the dress code to games and felt like, well, he had to be different. And, and that's just one thing where now we can argue if, if that's something the team should should uh, change. But until they do, you've got it. You've never got to put yourself above the team. But Frank, he's a legit power forward. Um, clearly, his his off ice stuff, you know, him and his is a strange wife. They've you know, they have these countering lawsuits that have all kind of gone away and nothing's come of it. So you wonder at three point five million. I would think a lot of teams might be interested. What about you? No, 
You don't think so? I, I don't think so. Um, what about two teams? How about? It only takes one. I mean, that's the thing. So is it out of the realm of possibility? No. But this reporting over the weekend that the San Jose Sharks are willing to eat half on Evander Kane is nothing new. Yes. Like this has gone back to the summer and teams didn't bite then. And that was before the allegations of, um, you know, the spousal abuse that was before the gambling allegation that was before, um, you know, before the fake vaccine card incident that got him suspended 21 games. Like the San Jose Sharks players had made it clear last year that they wanted no parts of a vendor cane. They had told management and exit meetings. We don't want this guy back. We don't think we can win with him. Read between the lines of all the things that they've said this year to start the season you know, positive vibes, positive energy. They don't feel like anything's dragging them down. And the results, oddly enough, for a team that's removed its best player from last season have been way more favorable sitting over 500 in points percentage this year and and sort of knocking on the door, at least in the conversation of playing meaningful games in March, which is something that they weren't able to accomplish the last couple of seasons. So if the team that knows him best wants no parts of him. What makes you think another team would step up and suddenly be willing to take on still that kind of term? I'm going I'm to throw out a team, uh, a, a, a name for you, Frank, um, a, a gentleman who has argue, probably the longest history in the national hockey league of getting people to, to, to be better people than they were, or to at least remain to be good people. Um, he has always put the team first. It's never a, an I in his organization. It's all about what's best for the team. And right now they can't score to save their life. I'm, I'm just throwing it out here, Frank, the New York Islanders and Lou Lamorello. If there's one guy who would not be intimidated, I'm not saying they'll do it, but the team that actually could use him the most is the New York Islanders. And at 3.5 million, he scores you 25 goals and you know, you, you have somebody who uh, ensures that he is uh, on the, the up and up because last year on the ice, not a distraction everywhere else, hundred percent, but that's the team that needs him the most. That is exactly the last team that I would think would be interested in the Vander Kane. Just because of Lou. Everything that, that Lou Lamorello stands for team first stickler for wardrobe. He gives his team, at least he used to give his team Hugo boss gift cards for Christmas to make sure that everyone was pretty buttoned nice, up and, and looking pretty nice. good GM. He's, he's a stickler for punctuality, you know, team first rules. You know, he checks the knobs of players sticks to make sure that they're the appropriate width and length so that you can pick your stick up off the ice quickly attention to detail is who Lou Lamorello is, you know, and I'm not even going to throw in the typical cliches, the haircuts and and no beards, but I, I just, I, I don't see it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't. Um, if you had, if you had put a gun to my head and you said, who are two teams that might be interested? I would think I would wonder about Carolina uh, as one just because they were willing to roll the dice on Tony D'Angelo in the off season and they're willing to do anything to make their team better. And I think the big question is with the team going so well, 853 points percentage, 
why would you need to take the risk? Like you don't really need him. So that's one. And then the other is the Florida Panthers, another team that's going really well. Do you need to inject that kind of risk, that kind of question mark into your lineup? But I think they have um, a tolerance for risk that other teams might not. So, and basically it's just for that reason in and of itself, those two teams have a, a, a higher tolerance for risk, in my opinion, in terms of how they do business than others. Yeah, uh, I believe it, it might not be right away, Frank, but I believe that Vander Kane will get traded. Some team at some point is going to look and say, man, we need some scoring help. And they're going to believe that, you know what, they'll have the conversations. I'm, I'm sure uh, Vander Kane and, and his new agent group will be, you know, they'll say all the right things. And I think if you have a coach who's who's on them all the time, right from day one, maybe maybe that benefits them. But I just, in a, in a league that lacks scoring, like not many teams have six legit top six forwards. They just this, don't. This isn't a one-off situation. This has happened just about every place that Evander Kane has gone. And at some point you have to say this, you know, this is, it's not getting fixed. Like you, you could be mother Teresa, some kind of miracle worker that you're not going to come in and bring Evander Kane in and, and, and solve him. You know, you, you think, back to the way the sharks brought him into their team, Um, you know, and the rave reviews that we heard before the sharks signed him to this long-term contract extension that they're now going to pay dearly for. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't see it. And the other part of it too is, you know, if, if you had said to me, how do you think this plays out with Evander Kane, him going to the AHL, my first guess would be that at some point during his tenure in the AHL, if things go a little bit sideways, that he just walks and says, I'm not, I'm not playing here anymore. At which but then point, they could suspend him and he runs away from all the money. Correct. And if he didn't have all these creditors after him, I'd say that that would have probably actually the most likely scenario. Um but he needs the paycheck. He needs the money. So um, it's a little bit of a different situation now. And I don't know. I, 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 my real test and, and my curiosity with this situation is what happens if three months from now, Evander Kane is still in the AHL. Like I believe the most likely scenario still is that he's destined for a buyout in June but that's that that would provide the sharks with five million dollars in in real cash savings. So that's actually pretty significant. But until then, there's going to be a real question mark in terms of how he handles his demotion and how he plays it out in the AHL. Yeah, that's fair. People maybe want a little uh, wait and see a character um, check. How do you, I, I, how do you I, handle I, when the chips are down? Yeah, I do think, though, the fact because Joe Thornton was the one who picked him up at the airport and Joe Thornton's highly respected in that room. And I, you know, uh, the the bigger issues of Kane emerged amongst the team when Thornton left. So I think you need somebody who's a really strong personality, Frank. And and, and I would, Evander, I'm guessing, is you put him in a situation where there's someone who's a real figurehead, like a Rod Brindamore. That's a really good example of somebody who who is on him to ensure. I think you might have a better chance. Now, the only reason I'm saying I think teams do this is history. They've given lots of other guys second, third, four chances. And when you're a good player... You get more chances. You get five, six, seven chances. And that's what Evander Kane has bought himself. I think you think back to the other strong personalities that he's played with. 
he's rebelled or rebuffed against almost all of them. Dustin Bufflin in Winnipeg, Blake Wheeler in Winnipeg, Andrew Ladd in Winnipeg. I mean, go through his stops. There have been other strong personalities there that no one has really been able to keep him in check. Uh, well, uh, we should have it fun on, uh, maybe we'll have it do a, uh, over under one of our segments with Tyler on, on a date on when we think Kane is, if he's still in the American league or if he's traded, that would be fun. Now a uh, little bit of fun. You don't see it very often. Brady Kachuk was seething as, um, Brendan Lemieux, uh, alleged, well, allegedly bit him. Sure. looks like he bit him. I have the, uh, the marks and everything. And Kachuk comes out, didn't hold back, was absolutely ripping him, you know, saying no one likes him. He shouldn't be in the T he begs people to be in the league. And then of course, Jonathan quick uh, said, no, 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 we like him. He's fine. I'd rather have him on our team than that kid uh, referring to Brady Kachuk. It's unfortunate that the Kings and the senators don't play each other again this season as they finish their two games in November. But Yarko Rutu, Frank, was the last guy I noticed in 2009. He got a two-game suspension for biting. How many games do you think Lemieux is getting this time? Like, it it seems that this is going to be taken a little bit more seriously. The initial, my initial reaction is eight. And I know that sounds like a lot, obviously, with the offering of an in-person hearing via via Zoom, which cracks me up because it's not in person. that obviously gives the NHL the ability to suspend for more than five. I think there's a number of factors in play. Um, One that, you know, this is, he did it twice, according to Brady Kachuk, bit him twice. Um, And and there was really no reason for it. It was, it wasn't provoked. Um, You know, yes, they're wrestling on the ice and they're in a scrum, but this was like, this was like a Vander Holyfield, like didn't have anything else to do or didn't know what else to do. So he just chomped down twice. That can't be the answer that can't work. And I don't know the two best parts of this entire thing for me. One is that Brady Kachuk called him a brickhead, which like I hadn't heard that in forever. And <laughs> that really made me laugh. And two the Gilbert Gottfried video that's been oh, circulating the online, cameo? the the cameo where the he just read the quotes that Brady Kachuk gave after the game, and I love when Gilbert Gottfried kept calling him Tikachuk, and <laughs> it, it was too, that was some high quality comedy. Oh, I'd have to get it. Yes, now when Mike Tyson bit Holyfield's ear, not just once. But twice, man, I still remember watching that live and you were like, what is going on? Like the world stopped for a few days like when that happened. Like it was like he took a chunk out of his ear. I remember I was a kid. I woke up the next day and like that's all anyone talked about for days. Oh, Wow, I remember watching it live and you're just like, what is going on? And he took it like, you know, you know, obviously, hey, to to draw blood on someone's hand, like the thing about biting it's is hard like to when do. you like when you look at it from like if somebody chicken wings you and, and knocks you in the head, like the long term ramifications of that are much worse. No question. But there's something about biting and spitting on someone like biting is. I, I, well, Frank, you're you're a parent. I'm a parent. You, when you have three and four year olds and they don't really know and they get upset, you're like, don't bite your sister. Don't be like, that's parenting. You don't have grown men in the national hockey league where you'd be like, uh, Brendan, don't bite Brady. Like, could you imagine like what the linesman's saying at that point? Cause you saw Kachuk, he's in the scrum and he's like, he bit me, he bleeping bit me. And you're just like, I'm sure the linesman's like, what, what the fuck's going on here right now? He must've just been totally kind of out. Cause you just don't see that. And so I'm with your like confession. Eight. 
I was actually kicked out of preschool for a day when I was there a kid go. for biting. Of course. But I was three or four, yeah. like you said, and didn't know any better. Oh. And I think you learn at that point right then and there that that's not acceptable, oh. let alone to do it in a National Hockey League game in front of 20,000 people and uh, you know a few million more that have seen the clip since. Yeah, like it's it's one where it's – like now, maybe Brady Kachuk has to get a tetanus shot out of this. I don't know. I but really, say, like the, the, the COVID nineteen vaccine has been mandated. We'll see yeah. if they now start putting in the tetanus booster. There's there's nothing serious about this as far as an injury goes. But morally, I think it really irritates people almost more than a headshot because you're just like like this is a child. It's a thing new that you're low. Taught. It's so cutless, I agree with you. It's eight yeah. games seems eight That's, games seems fair. That's kind of, it's in that, I think it's in that range. I think it's six, seven, eight. I'd be surprised yeah. if it's much more than that. Um, but I think you could make the case that it should be like 10 if you, if you wanted to. No, hundred percent. Let's uh, bring in Tyler Ramchuk. We're going to get to the sale of the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, in a little bit. And also the game of the week between uh, Toronto and Colorado. We'll get to that. But first we bring in uh, Tyler Ramchuk. Ty, how you doing? I am doing fantastic, and I am locked and loaded with another edition of Buy or Sell for you guys. Usually, it's fill in the blank on Monday, but no show Friday. I had the questions prepped for Buy or Sell, so I figured, you know, why why make more work for myself, right? Uh, it's brought to you by DoorDash. Promo code RundownDD gets you 25% off your first order and no delivery fees. The last time we did Buy or Sell, I had a bunch of questions about teams and their starts to the season. This one is all focused on individual players, actually. So I'm going to grill you guys a little here, starting with Nazem Kadri. I mean, what a season he's having. He had two assists in their last game against Nashville. He's never had a point per game season in his career. He might be picking a pretty good time to do it now. Buy or sell on Kadri ending the season with a point per game or better, Jason. Oh, well, he's given himself a good, what he's got 27 and 27 and 18. To finish with 80 points, man, like McKinnon's out. So that's going to cut down when he comes back. Uh, you know, so I'm going to say no. Um, 80 point, 82 points is really hard. So I'm going to say uh, no. I'm going to say he uh, he scores 75, though. I'm going to sell as well. I mean, it's way above his his career norm. His previous high is 61 and 82. I think he might be able to get to 72, 73, but at some point he's going to go cold. Leon Dreisaitl on pace for, well, a lot more than 60 goals, but that's only been done twice since the lockout with Stamkos and Ovechkin. Buying or selling on Dreisaitl hitting the 60 goal mark this season, Frank? Buying. Uh, I don't see any reason why he would slow down. He's been at that pace that sort of number and knocking on the door the last couple of years. I think he gets there. Yeah. I'm, I'm buying as well because uh, this is different than Simone Gagne when he had 20 and 20 and back in 2005, six, that was a career year for him. Career high. Drysdale has already scored 50 in the last four years. He's got the most goals in the national hockey league. Um, you know, 50 and 50 games. Come on. I'd love to see it, but that's just too hard to do. But uh, I, I call it a while ago. I thought he's going to get 60 and Ty Stamkos and Ovechkin is the only guys in the last 25 years to, to light the lamp 60 times. Okay, just quickly, I'll throw in a bonus one. Buy or sell on him getting more than the 65 Ovechkin had when he did it? Sell. Sell, yeah. I'm going to say like 62, three. Okay. Uh, One great bounce back candidate this season, Rachel Dory, had a bunch of really interesting numbers on this Friday on the Daily Faceoff show. But Sergey Bobrovsky, 
I mean, some people did actually, to be fair, see this coming. I think Dom Lucision had it in one of his predictions articles to start the year. But will he finish top three in Vesna voting? Frank, you buying or selling on that? Hmm. I'll buy. Okay. Jay? Well, I'm, I'm trying to see who's going to be competing against, right? Like who's you know, Jack Campbell's off to a ridiculous yeah. start uh, with Toronto, Jacob Markstrom and Calgary. Huh, I guess that North division wasn't that terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Bobrovsky, uh, he'll be a finalist for sure. All right. Uh, the fourth one, let's uh, go up to the North here. Kyle Connor, he's on pace for 55 goals this season. Buying or selling on the possibility of Kyle Connor hitting the 50 goal mark, Jason? You know what? Well, I love offense. I'm a sucker for it. So I'm buying. I, I, Kyle Connor is a sneaky good scorer, man. Like he, yeah. you watch a lot of his goals, guys. Like he, he rarely scores like just average goals. He's just got such a good release. It's very quick and he's extremely accurate. And uh, I think that uh, well, it's funny goals per game across the league aren't up significantly, but more individuals like it's the same guys who are always scoring and uh, Kyle Connor, I think he he'll become, well, there'll be a few others, but uh, cause this year, I think we're going to see three guys or four with 50. So he'll mm-hmm. be one of them. Yeah, I'm going to buy for sure. I, yeah. I, you look at Kyle Connor, the way that he broke into the league scoring 31 in his first full season, he's been really consistent and he's looks like he's taking his game to the next level, not just a sneaky, good score, a, a great player, 21 minutes a night for the Winnipeg jets. Um, he's, he's the real deal. All right. And uh, to wrap this one up, the, I haven't talked about our defenseman yet. So let's go there. I was digging through some numbers and a guy who kept popping up at the top for me is Aaron Ekblad. Will Aaron Ekblad come top three in Norris voting this season? I mean, there's some talk about Haskinen, talk about Makar, but I feel like uh, maybe Aaron Ekblad deserves to be in that conversation a little bit more. Frank, you buying or selling? I'm selling. Uh, I think he's bounced back in a big way. Um, I think he's been a huge part of what the Florida Panthers are doing, but I just think that there's other defensemen out there that are going to garner more attention. Uh, you didn't even mention Adam Fox. Yeah. That's three really good candidates right there between Haskin and Fox and McCarr. I just don't see, um, I just don't see Ekblad breaking into that top three. Yeah. Heck uh, Victor Hedman quietly, you know, still does what he does. Roman Yossi, John Carlson, I like Ekblad a lot too. I think I think he's he's going to be in that mix for the the Canadian Olympic team as one of their eight defensemen. But uh, I don't see him as a finalist for the Norse. All right, there you go. That is going to do it for another edition of Buy or Sell, brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. Well, Frank, we go from individuals to uh, now ownership. Uh, Pittsburgh, they change uh, ownership. Of course, uh, the Fenway Group comes in uh, sale between eight fifty and nine hundred million dollars. I don't know the exact number, but uh, Lemieux still part of it. Do you think this ultimately changes very much or does this just give uh, Brian Burke and Ron Hextall, you know, more leeway to spend money? I think it ultimately could change things. Um, if you look at how Fenway sports group has run their pro sports franchises, they've been very quantitative and analysis based. Um, you know, you don't have to look very far back to think of the, the Red Sox and, and Theo Epstein and, and the group that's followed since then. Um, so I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, obviously in the meantime with the penguins, keeping those guys in place, um, there's some stability there, but there's a lot of change that's on the horizon for the penguins when it comes to their roster might not be right away, 
Um, you know, they're, they're going to have to have some interesting conversations uh, around the trade deadline this year, depending on where they're at in the standings. Um, you know, I, I don't see that team adding to try and uh, preserve their chances or, or boost their chances in the playoffs, because even if they get in, you know, what's the likelihood that that team is going to do real significant damage. And so that's the question that they're probably asking themselves uh, what this is to me is an exit for Ron Burkle, who's staying on in a real minority share, but he injected a lot of capital into that team when he bought it. Um, my belief uh, from my reporting is that he had purchased uh, somewhere, he put in somewhere around $70 million out of the 99 that was required to buy the team, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they were in a dark spot then. What a bargain deal that was now looking back on it. But I'm told that he's mostly cashing out with $400 plus million now since then. So quite a return on the investment for Ron Burkle. And now when you look at the other facets of this, this deal and this transaction, there's a land development part of it. They own the arena. So there's lots that goes to it. Um, but it, it's... Um, it's fascinating nonetheless for a Penguins franchise that for the longest time had been looking for some stability before Mario Lemieux took over. So nice to see him stay in as a minority owner and, and Ron Burkle keeps a small slice as well. Now let's get to the game of the week, Frank. The Toronto Maple Leafs are on fire. They got uh, 12 wins in November. They're 12 and two. That's the best month in franchise history, which is a pretty long time for them. And then you got the Colorado Avalanche who have scored 43 goals in their last eight games. They're what seven and one. This is without Nathan McKinnon. Like you got two teams firing on all cylinders. That should be, that's the game of the week. No question for me on, uh, on Wednesday. But when you look at like we, I think a lot of people expected both teams to be competitive this year. Mm -hmm. Is there one you like better at this? Which team today, if you had to pick to say, I think they're going farther in the playoffs, Colorado or Toronto. It, it's still Colorado for me. Um, I mean, here's the thing about the Leafs is that they're now playing so well again and hitting their stride. And the scary part is that Austin Matthews really hasn't even been the goal scoring threat this year that he normally is. Uh, he's pretty well below his career average in terms of production. The Leafs are sucking you back in again. They're, they're making you believe that they can be this team that uh, puts it all together but the thing is for me, until they go out and do it in the playoffs, you know, this is just, this doesn't matter. It's window dressing. And yes, you need to get in, but it's, it's all about what happens when you get in. And, and yes, Colorado hasn't enjoyed all the success that they'd want to in the playoffs. A lot of it has just been unfortunate timing and circumstance. You think back to the bubble and, and their goalies going down. Um, you know, you think back to last year and, you know, missing Nazem Kadri again. Um, for me, uh, the way Colorado has played and mostly without McKinnon, like you look at the way that Landis Cog and Rantanen have purely dominated games at times. Um, that's a real strong sign for the abs moving forward. And I, and it's funny, I still think Darcy Kemper can be even a little bit better as well. Oh yeah. Kemper can be, uh, can be much better. You know, Matthew still has 10 goals in 20 games, right? He's, he's getting, he's averaging over four shots per game. You know, I know they're saying maybe his wrist isn't a hundred percent yet, but uh, he's getting the shots off and he's still, he's still on pace to score 41 goals, which, uh, he, he, but he's, so he's here. Here's the thing about Matthews and his season as 
sort of lackluster as it's been for his normal, his norm. And, and especially the tear that he played out last year, he's like, he's one, three, one hat trick or one four goal game away from being top five in the league. So yes. it's, he, I, I still think, you know, if you're looking at the long-term odds sport on points bet, I'd still be pretty comfortable putting some money on him in the goals race. Well, he's a guy that, um, you know, to score 50, uh, if, if, you know, health has been the biggest thing. And really, when you look at the Maple Leafs, if John Tavares doesn't get hurt last year, do they win in the playoffs? You know, many people could argue that maybe they do. So uh, key injuries, both of these teams, Frank, funny enough, have had, you know, terrible injury history at the worst time in the playoffs the last few years. Like if Eric Johnson's healthy one year, I really wonder, you know, the year Grubauer in the bubble and they're, go, they're down to their third string goalie. So, but that game on Wednesday night for any hockey fans, uh, I would recommend watching it because you got well two rested. Teams teams too two teams that are just going on uh firing on all cylinders right now i think that could be a electrifying game to watch you don't get to see a lot of those in a regular season so uh fired up on wednesday it's a double dose them and then you got uh crosby and mcdavid also going at it on uh wednesday night uh frank have a good week uh we will talk to you on friday when uh, brad tree living might be by as well looking forward to it Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard, 
cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.